Wasn't it good to see Neil up here this morning? Yes? Great. Yeah. Getting stronger each day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, just before I bring uh, the word this morning, just a reminder that uh, this is your last opportunity to be part of the giving for towards the building. Um, we've had uh, initial gifts and increase of giving uh, came through last Sunday, uh, which I think came to about just under £48,000. Am I right? Yeah. Is that the right figure? Okay. <laughs> Maximum. <laughs> okay. So we're still a good way off. We're going to give you that opportunity to give at the end of the service for those that still want to give and uh, towards the building, um, which uh, we're still progressing through at the moment. Okay. Great. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, John Dutton spoke to us about the suddenlies that happen in our lives. You know, those moments when God interrupts our lives and takes us in a new direction. And we were talking about it in our small group the following Thursday. And uh, I was reminded of the time in my late teens. Um, Jackie and I were living in Birmingham where we'd both grown up. And uh, we'd been engaged for about a year or so, and she was due to go off to Nottingham to university to do teacher training. And the plan was that she'd do her three-year training at uh, Nottingham and then return to Birmingham and we'd get married. That was our plan. And as we were thinking about this one evening, I don't really know which one of us bought it up first, but uh, we sort of said, uh, why are we waiting three years? Why don't we get married and I would move to Nottingham? After, and then after she'd finished her training, we'd move back to Birmingham because that's where our family and friends and our church had been that I'd grown up in. Little did we realize what that decision would lead to. We ended up going to a Pentecostal church in, in Nottingham. We got filled with the Spirit there. They set up a school, so we both got involved in education from a Christian perspective. And instead of returning to Birmingham after Jackie's three-year course had finished, we ended up there for 37 years. God's suddenness. The world has a word for this. It's serendipity. You heard that word before, serendipity? You know, a surprising or unexpected event. And Christians have a phrase for it. It's divine intervention. God bringing something or someone or some thought across our path that completely changes the course of our lives if we choose to go with it. And that's it, if we choose to go with it. One such character that this happened to in Scripture was Moses. Do you remember he tried to rescue the Israelites in the past, resulting in an Egyptian taskmaster being killed? So in trying to rescue his people, he'd been there, done that, got the t-shirt as it were, and burnt his fingers in the process. He fled Egypt, found refuge with a family in Midian, which was about 1,300 miles away, married, settled down, became a shepherd, and was quite happy looking after the sheep that belonged to his father-in-law. And then we come to Exodus chapter 3. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him 
in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cries of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said to him, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God in this mountain. God got Moses' attention. Moses may have seen in that hot and climate, dry country, many times bushes spontaneously burst into flames. When I grew up in Birmingham, we were only a short distance from the highest point in Birmingham. It's called Bar Beacon. It's 744 feet above sea level, and it has a 360-degree panoramic view. You can stand on the top of it Look all the way around and look right into the distance. You can see Birmingham, which is about five or seven miles away. Um, Dudley, Wolverhampton, Walsall, Sutton Coldfield, and all these sorts of places all the way around. And uh, on a very clear day, you can actually see 15 counties. They, they reckon you can see at one point right across to Wales. I've never seen it personally, but that's what they reckon you can do. And if you travel due east, they reckon that there's nothing higher until you come to the Ural Mountains. And Jackie's house was just on the edge of looking up towards this, where she lived, her back garden backed onto the fields that led up to, the, to that beauty spot. And on the top of the beauty spot, there were numerous gorse bushes. And gorse is quite an oily bush. And in the height of a hot, sunny summer's day, it was um, not uncommon to see the fire engines there putting out gorse bush fires or go up there and see whole swathes of gorse bushes that had been burnt up. They just suddenly poof, burst into flames as the oil gets to its um, temperature to burn. But Moses' bush was burning but not being burnt up, and that's what amazed him. That's what caught his attention. This was different, so he goes and has a look. And this is the moment of serendipity. This is the moment of divine intervention for Moses. For 40 years, Moses had been tramping this wilderness with his father-in-law's sheep. 
resigned to the fact that this was the course for the rest of his life. And then his bush burned. God spoke to him and life would never be the same again for him. God had heard the cries of the Israelites, seen the way they were being treated, had set a plan in motion to rescue them, just as he promised Abraham he would. And Moses, he says, you're my plan. You're my man. So go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Who am I, Moses says, that I should go to Pharaoh and tell the Israelites to go? Moses saw himself as a nobody. He saw himself as a failure. He'd failed at being an Egyptian prince. He'd failed at being accepted by his fellow Israelites. He'd failed by being a murderer. He'd messed up in a big way 40 years ago. Now he'd found his niche, a quiet life, wife and two kids, a few sheep to look after, a home to come home to, put his feet up, no responsibilities, for Moses' life was goodish. He was also 80 years of age. Wasn't this asking a lot of Moses at this age? To go up in front of a powerful man like Pharaoh, probably the most powerful person in that part of the world at the time, just to tell this man to let his cheap source of labour to go. No, God, you've got it wrong. Who am I? But God reassures Moses that he's with him. And I'll give you a sign, he says. I mentioned this last week. He said, when you've brought the Israelites out, they'll come to this mountain to worship. But what kind of a sign was that? If it was me, I'd want a sign now. Show me something now that you're with me, God. Not after I've dived headlong into this very dubious mission. And Moses says, if I go to the leaders of Israel and say the God of your ancestors has sent me to, to tell the people to go, they're going to ask me, what's his name? And he says, to say, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. In the Hebrew, the word is hawa, and it means I exist. And God was saying to I exist because I exist. I just am. And, you know, there's nobody else like me. I'm the creator God. I'm giving you all the power and authority to go to Pharaoh in my name. Go to the leaders of Israel in my name. And it's also the root word that we get. Uh, there we go. We're on. It's the root word we get. Uh, Jehovah or Yehoah which we've seen in English, Jehovah. And it's the root word behind this. And it literally means the, hand, uh, the, the mighty hand, outstretched hand of the one who exists. That's what God is. It's the mighty hand outstretched towards us to do the things that he's promised he'll do. In Exodus chapter 4, we find Moses is still negotiating with God. What if they don't believe me? Just say, I'm making it up. God didn't really appear to you, Moses. You know, you're just telling us a, a story here to, uh, to, to wind us up. So God gives him two more signs to authenticate this encounter with him. The second one was that he told him to put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it was leprous. And when he put it back in, it was whole again. 
But the first sign, actually God asks him a question. And he says to him, what's in your hand? And he says, it's just a rod, just a plain shepherd's staff, just to control these sheep. And God says to him to throw it down. So he throws it down and it turns into a snake. And God says to pick it up again by the tail. It's not a good idea to go picking snakes up, whichever end you try. But God says, pick it up by the tail and it turned back into a rod again. So God sent him back to his people, to his, the leaders of Israel and to the most powerful ruler of the time with a leprous hand and a stick. Hmm. You know, several weeks ago, we experienced our own serendipity, our own divine intervention. The result is that our times of worship went to a new level and we had spontaneous singing breaking out one week in the service and dancing going on. What was God's purpose behind it? Just so that we could have a nice holy huddle in church on Sundays to give us nice, warm, fuzzy feelings? No, I believe that just like Moses and many others we could mention in the Bible, God is encouraging us, enthusing us, enlivening us, envisioning us to reach out to our community, to bring God's kingdom to Harpenden and the surrounding areas. I believe the building is just one of the tools God is wanting to give us to carry out the task. And I believe God wants us to take courage from this incident with Moses to stop coming up with reasons why we can't do things. I'm not good enough. Who says you're not good enough? You know, some of you might look at the people that stand up the front and do things and think, oh, I could never do that. I could never be like Hannah or Amira or Dami who lead worship and the band with them. But, you know, those people, you know, Hannah had to start somewhere learning to play the guitar. Mira had to start learning to play the guitar. Dami had to start learning to play the drums. And then, using that, they started worshipping. I know for a fact that Amira was a worshipper at home long before she was a worshipper at the front here. God took what was in her hand. So we need to stop coming up with reasons we can't do things and to recognize who we are in God and to know that God, the all-powerful hand of the living God, Yehoah, is with us. He's given us his spirit and he's in us and he works through us. And he asks you this morning the same question he asked Moses. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Peter was a fisherman. He made his boat available to Jesus to preach from. That was what was in his hand at that moment. The little boy had just five loaves and two fishes. But he gave them to Jesus. It was what was in his hand. And he gave them to Jesus and they fed 5,000 men plus women and children. The apostle Paul was highly trained in the Torah, the Old Testament law having been taught by one of the greatest rabbis of his time, a man called Gamaliel. 
In fact, if you look in one of the Jewish books called the Talmud, one of the key rabbis that is referenced time and time again is Gamaliel says this, and another guy called Hilhel says this. And that's how the, the Torah works. This is what man, one man says about this bit of the law, and this is what the other man says about it. Gamaliel is one of the guys that is quoted in Jewish writings up to today. And Paul was one of his students. But he used what he'd been given to show that Jesus was truly the Messiah. He went into the synagogues on his journeys that we read of in Acts, and he debated with the religious leaders and the rabbis in those synagogues that Jesus was the Messiah and showed them from the scriptures that Jesus was the one God had promised. David had a slingshot and five stones, but he used it to bring down a boasting and intimidating giant and release the nation of Israel from servitude to the Philistines. This is one we don't often think about. Esther used her beauty. That's what got her into the, into the palace. That's what got her to be married to the king. And that's what got her to be in a position when the nation was under threat that she could speak on their behalf into the power of the king. She used her beauty to become a Persian queen and she used her influence to save the Israelites from genocide. Moses had a simple shepherd's crook in his hand. He threw it down in front of the Pharaoh and his magicians and it turned into a snake just as it had at the burning bush. And guess what? The magicians did the same. And their rods turned into snakes. But it says Moses' rod, Moses' snake ate up the other snakes. His snake was the dominant, powerful one. Moses used his staff to strike the water of the Nile, which turned all the water in Israel to blood. He struck the ground with it, and it caused flies and gnats to come out of it. This is all part of the plagues that God sent on the Egyptians at that time. He pointed it to the sky, and it brought forth thunder, hail, and lightning. He pointed it to the east wind, and it brought locusts that devoured what was left of the crops. He held it over the Red Sea and it parted to allow the people to dry on land. He struck a rock with it and water came out to slake the thirst of approximately 1.2 million people. And he held it high over a battlefield on one occasion and the Israelites overcame the Amalekites. What's in your hand? I know for some of you it's knitting needles and you meet and you knit together in the cafe and you have conversations around the table and all sorts of things are shared and the love of God is shown. For some it might be time that's on your hands because you've retired. How does God want you to use that? I know that some who have retired still do shopping for people they were doing shopping for during COVID lockdown. Still helping those people out, still blessing them, still showing the love of God to them as they go regularly week by week to get the shopping for them. Do you know the early church didn't have an evangelistic program? They just loved people. They cared for people. 
their lifestyle, in the way they did their everyday things, spoke of the love of Jesus. They gossiped the gospel. In other words, they just spoke about him as part of their normal everyday conversations. They shared with him in, on hospital beds. They were full of the love and kindness of God. When we encounter that serendipity moment, that divine encounter with the living God, it energizes us for the task God has called us to. Sonia was saying earlier, you know, we, what God has been doing with us is because he wants to do something in our community through us. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, sometimes we hear people say, oh, good works, we shouldn't be, you know, that's not good. If you're doing good works to earn your salvation, that's not right. But if you know you're born again, and if you know you're one of God's children, part of your heritage is good works to do. That's what God's given you to do. God has prepared something for all of us. None of us are passengers in God's kingdom. All of us have a part to play. What has God put in your hand? You may think it's mundane and ordinary, but one, when God takes it, it becomes mighty for his kingdom. Who are you? Who am I, Moses asked? Who are you, you might ask? Well, none of us are anything special. But with God with us, which he is, we can do anything. Psalm 18 verse 29 says, With your help I can run through an army. With help from my God I can leap over walls. Yeah? It's, it, it, it's him poetically saying, I can, I'm strong, I'm powerful with God. I may be, not be anything myself, but with God I'm powerful and strong. And I can go through armies and take enemies out. I can leap over walls, you know. Can't do that in my own strength. But figuratively speaking, I can with God. So, with God's help, what is in your hand? However mundane it might seem, it can become a mighty instrument in the kingdom of God. So there's two things there that I've been trying to get across this morning. The fact that with God, we can do all things through God who strengthens us. And God has put something in each one of our hands for us to use for his kingdom. However mundane it might seem, it might be a pair of knitting needles. But God can use that to connect with people. To share the love of God with people. So what is in your hands? I'd like to just stop for a moment. Let's close our eyes and just ask Holy Spirit to just minister to us the truth of who we are in him and to bring to our minds what we have that we might be able to use to further his kingdom.
don't dismiss anything because God can take anything. He even took a donkey to direct somebody on one occasion and spoke to them through it. I I really believe God wants you to start seeing yourself as he sees you. Remember Gideon that we spoke about a little while ago? Hiding away, trying to uh, just get a little bit of grain because the enemy kept robbing him. And the angel of the Lord came to him, the least of the lowest family in his tribe. And God says to him, mighty man of valor. Allow God to speak to you the truth of how he sees you, not how you see yourself. Now ask God, what have you put in my hand that you want me to use for your glory and for your kingdom? We saw that Moses' staff, a very ordinary piece of wood, probably some suitable branch that he'd found that was straight and just the right shape for what he wanted as his shepherd's crook that he'd leaned on and counted the sheep with over many years, suddenly became a mighty, powerful instrument in his hand. Because it was submitted to God. Father, I want to thank you for what you've been doing in us and through us as a church over the last several weeks. Father God, that uh, this sense of worship and honouring of you, this praise that's come, risen up within us as Holy Spirit has just, yeah, just brought new life and energy to us, Father God. I thank you for what you're doing. and We know it's for a purpose. We know, Father God, that you are calling us out to be a people that uh, make a change in this town and the area around. And Father God, I pray that uh, each one of us will just uh, find that place of knowing who we are in you and what you're calling us to do, what part you're asking us to play, what things you have put in our hands to serve you in your kingdom in this time, Father God, and that we'll start using it in the way that you're telling us to, so that uh, your kingdom will come, your honour and glory will be brought in this town, and we will see revival come, Father, as many people are touched and uh, influenced and affected by the good news that goes out from this people, Father God. So we just speak to us, I pray. Reveal things to us that you want us to know. Make it plain to us, Father God, that we may be bold and step out to do all you called us to do. For the honour of your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.